Hello and welcome to Radio IAGP. My name is Implausibly Josh and thank you for tuning in. Before we head on to the email section, uh, talking a little bit more about the games I've played, uh, really it was just Mario and Sonic at the Olympics. I got that. I thought it was a fun little game that I thought would be a fun time and it totally is. It's a lot of fun and I think it rules personally. Uh, I wish that there's a couple of things that they could do better. Like I want there to be a like randomized option where it's just hey pick x number of events and you're going to compete and see who can get the most gold or whatever and that's not really an option you just kind of go one through one by one uh unless you're going into story mode which i don't necessarily want to play a story mode in a olympic based sonic and mario game anyways it's been fun and i enjoyed playing it now on to the emails you can email in at fanmail at implausiblyaverage.live or you can fill out the form at bit.ly slash radio IAGP, capital R, capital IAGP. So let's get to it. Brian asks, what's your favorite niche video game hardware accessory, hardware game accessory, excuse me. I'm still a fan of the feel of the DJ Hero turntable controller, but I find the drop mix board to really make that music making game shine. I also know that if I'm ever going to make my partner a true hardcore elite ga- console gamer, she'll have to experience the Pokemon the best, wait, she'll experience Pokemon the best playing Pokemon. Let's, oh man, let me try this one more time. She'll experience Pokemon the best playing Let's Go with the Pokeball Plus. I don't know why that was so hard for me. What's your favorite? Thanks. Um, I'm incredibly partial to all of the rock band instruments. Um, rock band, Guitar Hero, all of those were, both of those were really good. Um, the red rock band guitar is very good. I have a lot of fond memories of that. Um, the, I'm sorry, the red guitar hero controller i think i said rock band anyways red guitar hero controller have a ton of fond memories of playing a ton of guitar hero 2 with that thing um i think and then the drum set in rock band rules is just so very very good um i wish that i had i have a copy of rock band 4 whatever the rock band is for ps4 i have a copy of that I don't necessarily know where my controller went for my uh, my guitar tr- controller, but I'm really wishing that I had a a uh, a drum set for that thing because that would be really nice. I don't though, which is not great, but I'll find one eventually. Also, I live in an apartment, so maybe having a drum set up here, you know, plastic or otherwise, isn't great. The best part, just real quick before I forget, the best part about the drum set for Rock Band is that it is so loud. It's so freaking loud. And I think that's honestly my favorite part about it is that it's just this loud thing and the rhythm of the sticks on the plastic pads really makes that game I find. I really like it at least. All right, moving on. Uh, Anonymous asks, you get to add one new feature to Pokemon. What do you add? Um, thank you, Anonymous. Uh, I think that... My thing that I've always really liked is, um, or not necessarily liked, but it's a fun thing that I can kind of do and grind in, in Pokemon is breeding. You know, uh, I'm trying to get to 400, all 400 Pokemon in Sword and Shield. And I, when I got that new, uh, Galarian, uh, Slowpoke, I decided to breed a bunch of them just for fun and throw them up on the, uh, on the Wonder Trade, the home uh, wonder box or whatever it's called 
and uh that's fun but i feel like there should be more there i think that if you implemented some more i think basically the big thing that i would add is adding on to shinies um in that i think that having the sparkle of a shiny have two different sparkles is kind of interesting but i think that you can do more with coloration you think of like uh, let's say you take a pokemon like meowth right meowth's just this weird cat yeah cats have a ton of different colorations it's not just you know cream and whatever you know the shiny color for meowth is there's a ton more variations and i think that that's something that could be improved on for sure there's just not enough variation in those colors and i think that that could be something that makes breeding especially if you do it through breeding right like maybe a handful generate randomly um but to get all of them if you want them you gotta breed them or something like that i think that would be neat i think that'd be fun um and that way i think that it makes your team look more personalized you know you get a handful of things like you can put the what is it like the stickers or the ribbons on current uh pokemon right now where like if you beat if you beat the uh the champion with your uh team you can all you can give them all the galarian champion ribbon and so when you go out it just says you know go galarian champion i don't know growlith or whatever but i think if your pokemon just looked completely different and they looked like your pokemon you know oh this team is very unique because it's your team not only do they have nicknames but they also have these cool colors and all this stuff i think that would be really cool and you know it's not like this isn't hasn't been done before like i think in pokemon stadium one and two if you had a pokemon that had a nickname it would have a different coloration and the coloration wasn't great it was just like in it's like in super smash brothers uh for the nintendo 64 where like they were just kind of different muddy gross color <laughs> variations in some cases like with pikachu it's just like oh this pikachu looks like neon green in a weird way like gross neon green you know it was a lot of stuff like that but i think that you can still do something neat with that maybe it doesn't have to be as in depth as i'm making it but i think that that would be the big addition it's just more colors and personality in some of these pokemon that aren't just like different forms like it's cool that i can make my rotom look like a washing machine or whatever but at the same time i think that you could be you could do so much more with the way that these pokemon look and how they're colored and stuff i mean take a take a um a voltorb for example a voltorb there's so many more pokeballs now you would think that voltorbs would look like every pokeball if that's kind of the way that if i remember one of the pokedex entries is that you know, they they evolve to look this way or something like that. And um, I think that there's stuff like that where it's like, oh, I have a Voltorb that looks like a Great Ball. No other benefit to its stats or anything like that. It just looks different and it looks cool and it's my Voltorb. It's the Voltorb that I, you know, raised and, you know, searched for and all this stuff. Like, I don't know. I, I think that would be the big thing. It's just more personality through through aesthetics of your Pokemon. That'd be the feature. All right, and Brian asks, what will it take to get garbage-ass abusive practices purged from the game industry? What can we do to make sure abusers and predators stop getting new jobs within the industry? Good question, Brian. Um, I think that it will take more people being willing to call out the abusive people 
more often to go work backwards on your question. So like Nick Robinson still goes to E3, sadly. Like that's not great. He should not still be there as a press person considering how he was, you know, fired from Polygon for his abuses, you know? And he's still hanging out with other abusers as well with, I can't remember the names off the top of my head, but the people with the Toe Jam and Earl, the new Toe Jam and Earl game and that company, like abusers protect abusers. And the problem, and that's the problem, is that those abusers have wormed their way into high, high places of power within this industry that people are afraid to talk about them. And that is... I think the thing that needs to change is that people need to not be afraid to talk about them. Obviously, I'm not someone who has been um, hurt by them, so what do I know? But it's stuff like it's stuff like the fact that if I remember correctly, someone was just dunking on Nick Robinson and him complaining about Overcooked Two. I think is what it was, and it just dunked on him because there was some open secret about him, and then it spiraled from there. You know, and I think that I think that other places have a huge culture of silence in terms of like all of these things are big open secrets. Like I'm not going to get into all of them, but I know that there's a handful of open secrets that people who have, let's say, talk, gone on a podcast to talk about Nick Robinson and what that meant for the industry. And they still hang out and do work with some of these people who have open secrets about them. And, you know, that's the thing that's bothersome is that I think that in a lot of cases, I I want to believe that people are good, right? So I think that a lot of people have their hearts in the right places when they say, you know, we should abandon the culture of silence within our industry. I think the problem is, is that sometimes your friend is the person who has an open secret about them or someone you work with and realize that there's some form of benefit to you working with them and i think that's the issue is that people will say there should not be a culture of silence within the video games industry uh, both on the um the journalistic side and on the actual video game production side but then that only goes so far as someone who is not in their own immediate circle and i think that's really the big issue is that you don't have people who are willing to speak for people who have been abused by them, right? There isn't someone out there going, I'm going to be the champion of these people who cannot speak for themselves and use my big platform to do so. Like, I'd do that, but I have 200 followers on Twitter. No one's listening to me. But the people who have made these grand claims have these large followings, and as far as I know, don't use them for that. And I think that's the big issue, is that the people who have nothing to lose and can make those changes don't make those changes that's that's what i'm seeing as someone who is not part of that industry obviously i'm just someone from the outside looking in i see an industry that protects its own no matter what is happening you know and i think it happens on the small scale too you know i think that there are people within the video games industry who will on one hand you know dunk on people like Colin Moriarty or whoever who is just a massive jerk and like is just not worth listening to and is wild that they still have any type of you know fame or presence in video games right but then when you talk about like 
systemic issues within these journalistic places, right, that aren't just tied to one single person, or when that, you know, that those same criticisms of systemic issues get turned to a place that you work for or a place that you like, then it's like, well, hold on, that's not fair, blah, blah, blah. And so you see that stuff play out, right, on the on a very small scale, just dealing with, I guess not very small scale, but you see it de- dealt out on a smaller scale than specifically predators in the industry. Um, and then you go from that, you see it play out there, you know it's going to play out the same way when it's a much bigger issue. You're dealing with predators and stuff. There's no way that those same people are going to talk bad, are going to talk bad about their own place that they work for or the place that they weren't just covering for, you know, earlier about us about a different topic of systemic issues. So that's the big that's the other thing um, in terms of uh, that's that in terms of getting out abusers and predators uh, predators in the industry. I think abusive practices like crunch and stuff like that i don't know i i think that the problem is is that video game journalism works really hard to get the info that they need to make money by having that access to these companies so if for instance a let's say i run a blog and it gets really good and i get this access from let's say rockstar or something well then if i suddenly start covering how rockstar doesn't take care of its employees then that access goes away and if that access is what paid my bills it doesn't incentivize me to actually cover that stuff and i get that that's just an issue inherent to the type of work that these companies are doing because it's uh enthusiast press right so you need to be in touch with these people. You need to be in touch with the the companies that can provide you these things. And that's just kind of the bread and butter of that industry and the bread and butter of that type of journalism. And it sucks, right? That And it may be this thing where maybe once these game companies figure out that they can get better deals elsewhere doing different things, you know, kind of like how as much as it sucks that E3 is closed, um, it's good that they did it for public health, right? But it sucks that it's not going to be around anymore. Um, like, there's no way that E3 is going to take a hit like this and then continue to go on from here on out, right? But those companies didn't need E3. Nintendo's been, Nintendo still had a presence at the show floor. You still play uh, Mario Odyssey or Smash Brothers there, but they were doing Nintendo Directs during E3. They weren't doing their presentation there. And so I think it's similar to that, right? Is that these companies are going to realize that they can have more control over this stuff than giving someone a review and then giving someone review access. So at a certain point, it becomes this thing where maybe they're never going to give out review codes anymore, which is going to suck. But at a certain point, once you're less dependent on the actual space you're covering, the more you can be truthful about the things that happen in that space you're covering. Um, at least that's the way, again, it's the way I see it. The only thing I've ever done is I, I've written a few, you know, reviews for games I'd already played for years after or months after a review would have gone out if I was working for an actual company. So what do I know, right? But that's the way I see it outside looking in. All right, and that does it. That'll be this episode of Radio IAGP. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to send in questions, you can do so by emailing in to 
fanmail at implausiblyaverage.live, or you can go to the forum, uh, fill out a form rather, uh, at bit.ly slash radio IAGP. That's capital R, capital IAGP. Um, you can go to either of those places and you can go ahead and send us an email, send us a question. We'll read it on air. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can do so at implausibly a on Twitter. That is the implausibly average Twitter. And that'll do it for us for this week. Uh, see y'all next time. Thank you for listening and goodbye.